Well, welcome to our third season of Knowledge Cast. If you're a regular listener, we're certainly glad to have you back with us again. And if you're a first-time listener, uh, welcome. And we hope that you enjoyed today's podcast and will join us again next week. we got a great list of guests scheduled for our third season. And you can read about them by going to jackwwilliams.com and just scrolling down to the podcast section. Well, today we're excited to have Brian Finner uh, joining us. Brian had a 12-year career in the NFL as a wide receiver, 11 of which with uh, the Atlanta Falcons, our home team here. Uh, But he was an All-American at Villanova and was selected to receive the Walter Payton Award, which goes to the top offensive player in that football division, which is quite an accomplishment. While he was with the Falcons, he was selected as the Atlanta Falcons NFL Man of the Year. And after finishing his career, Brian jumped into the media world and had an opportunity to be the color commentator at his Villanova Final Four Championship uh, winning game there in 2016. And now is uh, one of the Sports Talk radio hosts on the Locker Room Show in Atlanta on 680 The Fan. Uh, Brian, welcome. Glad to have you on KnowledgeCast. Thank you, Jack. I'm excited to be a part of KnowledgeCast. Well, let's jump into this real quick. You had a lot of things happen during your 11 years with the Falcons. And let's kind of start with uh, the head coaches. You had four head coaches and Dan Reeves, Jim Moore, Bobby Petrino, and Mike Smith. That's that's four distinctly different coaching styles. Tell us what it was like playing with these different guys. We'll start with Dan Reeves. He was my first coach here in Atlanta. It was kind of like a father figure, I would say. He brought me through the ranks, taught me how to be a professional. Uh, there was a fear factor for me and Dan Reeves. He just he was the oldest head coach that I had. He had a history of playing football in the NFL. He'd coached for a long time. He'd seen it all and done it all. So there was party that never wanted to, you never want to let a coach down anyway, but there was, for whatever reason, for him, it was, it was a little different. And um, it was more like you didn't want to disappoint your dad uh, by messing up <laughs> or jumping off sides or dropping a pass or sure. any of those things. You just wanted to be impress him as much as you could. But he was a disciplinarian, um, one of the few coaches that had us condition if we messed stuff up, uh, condition after practice pretty consistently. And then um, it was just fun to play with. And, and he believed in me. He was the first coach that really gave me confidence to let me know that he counted on me. He put me in the slot, put me on big-time third-down situations, and really started to develop into a good, good receiver with Dan Reeves and special teams player. And if we jump to uh, Jim Moore Jr., uh, I enjoyed playing with Jim. Uh, he was a fiery head coach. He was um, young, much younger than Dan Reeves. Um, I'm, I never, I'll never forget when I first started with Atlanta and Dan Reeves was our coach. Chris Chandler was our quarterback. And he called him Dan. I was like, <laughs> what is going on over here? I never called a, right. I never called a coach by his first name. Yeah. So, and I still haven't. <laughs> so it was still Dan, it was still Coach Reeves for me. That would be tough for me. Yeah, exactly. But I just noticed that. And I was like, wow. Jim Mora came in, called him Coach Mora. And um, he was fiery, younger. Um, his whole thing about practices were we'll get our conditioning in during practice, like sprinting from dr- drill to drill. Uh, attention to detail was huge with him as well. Um, he was fun to play with. I, I wish, I think we could have had some more success with him. Um, but he said some stuff on a radio interview in Seattle that got him in trouble with Arthur Blank. And um, a couple of 500 seasons, and before you know it, he's gone after three years. So yeah, you got to watch. You got to watch those radio guys. <laughs> you never know what you're going to say. You better watch these podcast guys too. I can tell you. <laughs> so um, we move on to my least favorite of the four coaches by a long shot is Bobby Petrino. 
So they brought Bobby Petrino in, Rich McKay did, in order to help Michael Vick become and grow to the quarterback they felt he could be. Michael Vick had his issues, which I'm sure we'll get into later, and went away from the team and, and spent some time in prison. So Bobby Petrino is there sitting there with a football team with not the quarterback he thought he was going to have, not the system he probably wanted to run, and definitely not the players he was hoping to coach, especially the quarterback situation. That's no excuse for what he did to us, which was quit 13 weeks into the season. Um, it was just, it was a bad deal and uh, felt like we were walking on eggshells with him. So uh, we try to forget as much about Bobby Petrino. Every man on that football team really did not enjoy our time in 2007 at all. And, and then finally, uh, my last coach and, and one of my favorites, uh, Mike Smith. Mike got the job in 2008. It's when they drafted Matt Ryan and brought him in as a rookie. Um, Mike Malarkey was the offensive coordinator. And um, those two guys, Mike Smith and Mike Malarkey, and my receiver coach, Terry Rabisky, kept me in the league for probably three years longer than I should have been. <laughs> <laughs> After 2007, I came off of – that was my second ACL in a row. So in 2008, I'm wearing a knee brace. I'm trying to find my way through this new coaching staff. I'm trying to still impress Coach Smith and, and Mike Malarkey. And, and um, again, they just – they believed in me. And, I, and a lot has to do with what I did on the field. They, they trusted me. I knew my plays. I knew where to line up. I could play special teams. Um, I could do all those different things. So Smitty, Mike Smith, Smitty. I guess I got more comfortable later in my career, too. So I called him Smitty all the time. That, that seasoned veterans coming out now. <laughs> That's exactly right. So Mike Smith and I have a great friendship to this day. Probably the closest I'm to is all four coaches. We play golf together every once in a while when he's here in Atlanta. And um, he just he gave me every opportunity to extend my career to that 11th and 12th years. And, um, and I really enjoyed playing with him. And he was a winner. And that was the first time the Atlanta Falcons ever went back-to-back -back winning season. And he did it right. five years right. in a row. So, um, and with a rookie quarterback to boot with Matt Ryan. So those are my four guys. Um, you don't want to rank them because, well, Petrino, Petrino's last. <laughs> and then <laughs> – the other like guy that'd, that'd be easy. That's exactly right. The other guys just salt to the earth, love playing for all of them. Well, I have found, Brian, you're a humble guy, but I've found when coaches believe in players, there's usually a reason why they believe in them. Uh, and that's because they have performed on the field. Well, let's let's go back to your least favorite guy for just a second, because I gotta I gotta get the details of this story. As you already said, uh Bobby Petrino left, I believe it was after uh, Monday night game, if I remember correctly. That's correct. And uh, rumor had it that you guys found out about it with a memo note or something in your locker room that he was leaving. Uh, kind of explain the chain of events that was happening. You, you talked about that Michael had left and, and uh, the, the team uh, profile was going to be a little different in terms of the roster, but kind of talk about how that all happened and the team's reaction. Uh, so guys on that team that year, Hall of Famer, Morton Anderson, um, one of my favorite teammates, work done, just a couple of leaders in the locker room, myself, Todd McClure. It just, I've, I've never seen a team and players react to a coaching style in the NFL. And I'd been in the league seven years, seven or eight years at the time, actually nine. And it was just amazing. The lack of uh, personality, the lack of communicative skills, um, his unwillingness to be open-minded and communicate with players. He, the problem with Bobby Petrino 
besides those things I just mentioned was his, his, he came right from college. I think we got him from Louisville, if I'm not mistaken. Right, right. An unbelievable offensive-minded football coach. Don't get me wrong in that regard. The things he did in college were amazing as far as finding ways to win and, and the systems he ran. But he, he brought that college mindset to the NFL. Obviously, college, 17, 18, 19, 20-year-olds you're dealing with, they're pretty much yours to mold and, and work with. And, and we really, you think about yourself at 18 and 19, I know I was a little bit timid. Um, I did what my coaches told me to do within reason. Um, you just kind of, I don't say you're a robot, but you did what you were told. It's almost like military type aspect. Right. Say. And he tried to bring that to the NFL with grown men, with families, um, with experience in the NFL. And he didn't know how to adjust and he didn't know how to communicate. I'll never forget. I was in the training room, no, the locker room, and we're getting ready to go out for a mini camp. And I'm coming off an ACL injury. And I asked him, you know, what he wants me to do today. Because I, I was not really going to practice, but I was going to go out beforehand and catch balls with the quarterback. So it was the most uncomfortable conversation one-on-one, -on -one, which I didn't have very many one-on-ones with him. Um, and he just, just kind of ho-hum, yeah, go out there, find a quarterback, throw some routes. I was like, all right. And Real just, motivating. Yeah, exactly. And it just, it was tough. And um, I did that. The worst part about that story is DJ Shockley and I um, went out to the barn and started throwing routes. About, I was almost done 15 routes in. I wasn't doing a ton because I was still rehabbing, but I was feeling pretty good. I was running full speed, but I had a brace on everything else. So ran the last route, caught the football, turned up field, and I felt my knee kind of just go sideways. Okay. It, it didn't hurt because I had a cadaver ligament in my, for my right ACL, but I had just, it was gone. My body at that point, 10 months into rehab had rejected the, the ligament. You knew, you knew how that felt. Oh, I knew exactly how that unsta unsta unstable feeling in my right knee felt. And it was awful. Had the trainer come over and look at it. And, um, I guess the good news about tearing my ACL that, that second time, two years in a row, is I didn't have to deal with Bobby Petrino anymore in the locker room. <laughs> <laughs> That's a pretty extreme way to get away from the coach. <laughs> Trust me, if there was a better way, I would have done it and found it. So um, I brought up Morton Anderson and work done early talking about Petrino because those two guys said they've never been in a locker room like that in their lives, where guys are walking on eggshells. He didn't know what was right, what was wrong. He tried at one point to tell the team no talking during pregame meals. And he was a grown man getting ready to play a football game, and he's dropping stuff like that on us. I can imagine how, how that went over. Well, let's switch from a negative subject um, to a positive one. Uh, well, I, you know, you played, you played, you mentioned Chris Chandler. You played for three pretty good quarterbacks, and, and Chris Chandler, Michael Vick, and Matt Ryan. Um, what kind of adjustments did you have to make to their different, you know, their styles, their personalities, their skills? Yeah, it was different. Uh, it's a good question. Chris Chandler was, was my favorite because um, I was young, I was athletic, I was healthy, and he threw a football wherever he needed to. He had the touch. He had a little zip on it. He had the timing. I had my first full year playing with Chris, 20, 23 catches, 21.3 yards per catch, and three touchdowns. Oh, wow. Super Those, were, those were productive, productive plays. That's exactly right. And he put the ball wherever he wanted to. He had this mind for the offense, too, where he was like, it was almost photographic memory. He'd look at mm -hmm. the play sheet on Monday night, 
by Wednesday, he had it memorized. It was crazy. So he was special and a lot of fun. And he was, he was an old veteran at the time. Uh, Michael Vick comes in as a rookie and um, the world's kind of spinning it. I think Jim Moore put it the best. And this was a couple years in the Vick's career. And he said, cause I was trying to get Vick to study and come over and watch Monday night football in Tampa and New Orleans were playing cause we're playing those teams during the season. And he just wouldn't really do it like he needed to. And Jim Moore, for whatever, said, I'm trying to get him to come over, coach. He won't do it. And um, he said, listen, Finn, you you guys are just that different. I think he's, he said, he's hip hop nation. You're all American dad. You're just got <laughs> you're two different directions right now. I said, all right. So with Vic was fun, Jack, because you had to be always on your toes, whether that was on your, with your mind and helping him read situations or with your feet and arm and running because of scramble drill, he would be so athletic in the backfield. You turn around, he's not in the pocket where he's supposed to be. And he's running around making guys miss and making unbelievable plays in the backfield and then letting one fly. Um, he was dynamic. He was uh, the best athlete I've ever played with on a football field. And uh, if he could throw it probably 80 yards at the time I played with him, it was, it was a lot of fun. Can't outrun one of those arms. No, <laughs> you cannot. Maybe maybe y'all should have put in his contract what they put in Kyler Murray's that he's got to he's <laughs> has to have at least four hours of uh, out of office film time. We talked about that uh, this week on my radio show in the locker room on 680 fan, exact same thing. It was a very similar situation. And the opposite of that was Matt Ryan. Matt Ryan came in as a rookie from Boston college and took over that huddle, had leadership qualities that were unbelievable. I was, I was broken down and old and two bad knees and got to play three years with Matt and, um, and wasn't as productive as I was early in my career, but it was a joy to play with him and watch him progress and, and grow into what I think is a Hall of Fame quarterback. Well, he was definitely special. Um, you know, you had an opportunity of a lifetime that when you were asked to be the color commentator for Villanova's NCAA championship game in 2016. Tell us how that came about and, and, and what kind of experience that was. It was awesome. Uh, so I graduated from Villanova in 98. Uh, other graduates like Brian Westbrook played with the Eagles for a long time. Howie Long, Kerry Kittles played basketball there, Tim Thomas. So what, what happened there is Turner Broadcasting, TNT, here in Atlanta, does this thing called the Team Stream, where the regular broadcast will be on TBS. And then they'll do a Villanova broadcast on TNT and then a North Carolina broadcast on uh, True TV. So I don't know how I got the call. I don't know how many people they skipped over before they got to Brian Finner <laughs> at Villanova, but I got it. I think playing in Atlanta and knowing some people at Turner helped. They gave me the call. They said, would you want to do this? I said, are you joking me? Let's go. They flew me out to Houston and um, I got the call. What is quite possibly the greatest NCAA championship game in the history of, of Absolutely. I got chill bumps just thinking about it right now. I'm courtside sitting there watching it two feet from the court and Chris Jenkins rises up and makes that shot. And the rest was history. It was awesome. Hey, what, what was your comment when he made that shot? <laughs> did, you, did you forget that you were actually on TV? I stood up out of my chair, put my arms up in the air and just was screaming. I, I can't believe it. It's championship, championship. <laughs> <laughs> kind of stepping on the, on the, on the regular commentator a little bit as a, I was a color analyst and it was, you just lose it, but that's what they wanted you to do in that moment sure. as, as a team stream. They'd have, they'd have been disappointed if you hadn't been an alumnus and, and going through that moment. 
uh, it was it was really fun. Well, you've got a uh, tell some funny for me. You got a twin brother, Brad, that played with you at Villanova. You got any twin brother stories where you guys changed roles and did something crazy because you looked the same? You know, we were super shy. Brad and I were super shy growing up. We were both tall and lanky, but we were athletic. So on the basketball court, as I think where our, our twin um, telepathy kind of came into play the most, you could not stop us on pick and rolls. We had alley-oops, we had uh, give and goes, backdoor cuts, inbound plays where you just look, made eye contact with each other and gave him a little nod and he went to the hoop and I'd throw it up by the rim and he'd catch it and dunk it in the, in the basket. And it was just, those are the kind of things I think of with Brad and I sports-wise. Couple at Villanova where we both played football together there and played a receiver. I would catch a little like two or three yard out and Brad had run the curl route behind it. And he would see that I caught the ball and come just absolutely take out the defender. <laughs> Protect uh, his brother. That's exactly right. One thing we did, I think late elementary school in sixth grade or seventh grade, we went on like a double date with a couple girls that, you know, I don't know if you want to call it a date or not, but we went to the movies with a couple girls. And I think, we both got up at one point and when we came back, we switched seats on them and it took them, <laughs> it took them a while to figure it out. <laughs> but that's just about as far as we went. It probably worked at the sixth and seventh grade. It might be a little harder later on. Yeah, we did take the exact same classes at Villanova and got business management degrees. So if somebody was a little bit uh, banged up from the night before or not feeling good or for whatever reason, we made sure we all, one of us was there at all times. Well, it's funny you say that. I, I was I was going to ask a question at college. Did you ever swap seats in class or sub for each other? But you beat me to it on that one. That would have been the first thing I'd have been thinking about. No question. Well, you're uh, you're now a successful host there at uh, 680 The Fan, doing a great job. Tell us, uh, most people don't know how, how that uh, happens when you're putting on a show. Tell us a little bit about what's involved in preparing for a show and, and what's the toughest part being a uh, talk show radio host there. I mean, you, you got it. I don't know whether it's harder or easier. You got a lot of folks there in the locker room more than normal that, you know, that you're sharing time with. But tell us how that works. Yeah, so it's been good. I've, had a, I've been fortunate to work with a, um, a lot of people. Sandra Golden, uh, Ray Mariner were my first two co-hosts, and then Stake Shapiro and Sandra with the, the front row, and then it morphed into the locker room, and it's myself, Hudson Mason, Joe Hamilton, a couple quarterbacks from local teams, Brandon Leak, and, and John Michael. So it's easier with more people yeah. uh, as far as prep's concerned because certain guys take the lead on college football, and I'll take the lead on Falcons and NFL, and he'll do this and he'll do that. When you have two people, it's a lot more difficult um, you have to study more. I think the, the, to answer your question, it's, it's less pressure with five guys. Um, but the toughest part about it is trying to watch all the games, make sure you're up to date and studying. It feels like a cush, cushy job. And sometimes it is, but there's a lot of work outside of the four hours we're on the air from six to 10 in the morning. And that's watching games and that's reading articles and coming up with topics and being creative in the, in the summer months when there's no real good sports outside of baseball going on, you try to right. up, come up with topics. So those are some of the things that jump out to me, but the locker room has been awesome. I think um, the camaraderie the five of us have is kind of amazing when you have that many people in a room together trying to talk on a microphone. Um, but it's worked for whatever reason. There's not a lot of egos in that room right now. 
And um, we just kind of do a great job feeling off each other and, and working together. Well, it's been a success. You guys, I, I was really curious about having five guys and, and uh, you know, only one sound bite at a time there. Uh, that, that's tough, but you guys have figured it out. Thank you. Well, Brian, listen, I want, I want to thank you for uh, spending time with us today. And, and I also want to thank you for your impact as a positive role model while playing uh, for the Falcons as well as in college. And I want to wish you continued success uh, in your media career. I appreciate it, Jack, and I've enjoyed your podcast, and um, I'll get back and try to catch them all before I get before I get done here. I, I really did enjoy catching up on them and, and seeing some of the guys that I'm familiar with, Ralph Stokes and Ben Hartstock and, and, and a bunch more that I know that you've had on. Right. Well, we've enjoyed having them. Well, well as we wrap up another KnowledgeCast episode, a, a special thanks to each of you for making us part of your day. Let's make it your goal this week to be a positive influence in the lives of others. Hey, before you go, we wanted to let you know about Jack's book called The Question, a guide to answering life's most important question. In this book, Jack shares his personal journey that began in 1993 to determine the values, principles, and beliefs that would guide his life. Whether you are a spouse, parent, grandparent, friend, leader, educator, coach, or mentor, Jack's I Believe statements apply to all the roles he has played during his lifetime and can do the same for you. Jack's message applies to all people, ages, and careers. It's an easy read with compelling stories, enjoyable humor, and sincere transparency. The question is now available in ebook and paperback exclusively on Amazon. Go to jackwwilliams.com slash the question to learn more and buy your copy today. Again, thanks for joining us for this episode and join us next week for an all new episode of KnowledgeCast by Ideals.